Welcome to this episode of Take 15. I am Lauren Foster, Content Director at CFA Institute. Uh, joining me today is Willis Sparks. Willis is an analyst in Eurasia Group's global macro practice. Uh, Willis, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for inviting me. In the past four years, we've seen various forms of crisis in the US, Europe, and the Arab world. Are we likely to see more such market-moving turmoil over the next decade and if so, why? We are likely to see a lot more volatility, a lot of market moving volatility. And there are several reasons for that. Uh, but the, the first that I think we should start with is uh, the fact that we live in a world where we have a lot less global leadership than we had five or 10 years ago. Because given the situation with uh, US finances and the, the the very strong focus in this country, not just in an election year, but the overall strong focus on domestic issues is going to prevent the U.S. from playing the role that it played uh, throughout the Cold War period and then in the immediate aftermath of the Cold War. It doesn't mean that the U.S. isn't going to be the strongest power in the world, the most influential power in the world for the foreseeable future, but the U.S. is not going to be in a position to use that power to help exercise global leadership in ways that help prevent crises. So I think that one of the, this is the common thread through a lot of what you're talking about. In the last four years we had a financial crisis and we had to move from a sort of G7 model of international politics to a big table G20 to bring in a lot of the emerging market players to, to try and help out with the financial crisis. And yet it's just hard to get that many people to agree on anything. So there was a lack of global leadership in that instance. In the Eurozone, Europe has really been left pretty much to its own devices. The US is not playing a very helpful role in this. The Chinese are too risk averse to get deeply involved in this. So Europe is left to its own devices. We're seeing the same thing in the Middle East where the, the powers that have traditionally helped reinforce stability are frankly so absorbed with their own issues at home that the region is left to Turkey and Iran and Saudi Arabia, some of the stronger countries in that region, to try and sort it out. And we see the result of that. The result of that is a Syrian civil war that is like a forest fire that no one is putting out. So we're going to continue to have that, that problem of global leadership over the next several years. The U.S. will be focused on the U.S. Europe will be obsessed with the Eurozone. China will be obsessed with its own reform process. One other point. We're headed for a global economy that is really going to depend on emerging market countries for its dynamism over this period that you're talking about. And in fact, depending on who you believe, whether it's five years or eight years or whenever it is, China will become the largest economy in the world, which is significant because it will be the first time, uh, at least since the Industrial Revolution, when the largest economy in the world is a developing country. We're only beginning to think through the implications of that, but it certainly is going to add a lot of volatility in a world that depends not just on China, but especially on a country going through enormous change to provide growth and stability in the global economy. Geopolitics is becoming more and more of a factor in investment decisions. 
What do you think is driving this? Well, the factors that I mentioned are a big part of that. Um, another part of that is we're seeing a, a growing collision between what you might call state capitalism, state-driven capitalism as practiced in China and Russia and to some extent uh, the, the Gulf monarchies, um, and the free market capitalism along that spectrum that we see in, uh, in the West, in the U.S., in Europe. And uh, at this point, it's a question of a lot of multinational companies dealing with competition and the strength of the state capitalist system, um, competing with, say, Chinese state-run companies that have a lot of political backing, financial backing, diplomatic backing of their government. But over time, what we're going to see is actually uh, the rest of the world dealing with the long-term weakness of state capitalism, because the Chinese recognize that they they can't continue to grow in that way, that state capitalism will only take you so far in development, and then you have to take it apart, slowly, carefully. But that process of taking it apart is going to be complicated and risky and dangerous for China. That's just one more element that, uh, that adds a lot of uncertainty. Let's talk a little bit more about China. China's economy is slowing just as the leadership transition gets underway. Do you think China can continue to grow as it has for the past 30 years? And if not, what has changed? No, China cannot grow over the next 10 years the way it has over the last 30. Not my opinion, it's the opinion of the Chinese leaders themselves, which they have said publicly. Premier Wen Jiabao, outgoing Premier Wen Jiabao, has referred to the Chinese system, the development model currently in place, as unstable, unbalanced, uncoordinated, and unsustainable. China is the emerging market country least likely to develop along a straight line because there is an awareness in the leadership that they have to change their development model. Specifically, there are a lot of things they need to do, but the most important, they need to empower Chinese people to buy more of the products made in China. If you, if you try and maintain a system that is based on shipping manufactured goods to Europe, America, and Japan, then you will remain vulnerable to economic circumstances in those countries and to consumer confidence in those countries to a degree that is not sustainable. This implies, however, an enormous transfer of wealth and power from the Chinese state and Chinese state-run companies to Chinese households and consumers. Enormously complicated process. And a lot of these Chinese state-run companies have the means to fight back within the system. They have real political and economic influence, which they're already using to resist this change, which will be very expensive for them. So China, there is a large element of unpredictability in China over the next 10 years, just as you say in a moment of leadership, once a decade leadership transition, and just in the moment when China is making serious progress toward becoming the world's largest economy. This is this is the country to watch over the next several years. Switching now to the Middle East, it seems like every day we get news out of Syria or Iran or Iraq or Turkey. So my question is this, change in the Middle East seems to be ongoing, but where is it going? Well, uh, it's impossible to say. I think there are too many variables. And the reason why we're in this situation is because this is a region where outsiders have established stability over the years, for better and for worse, of course. But over the centuries, it's been the Europeans and the Ottomans and the Americans and the Soviets that have come in and imposed a kind of rough order on the region. Um, we don't have that now because 
the Americans are obsessed with America and the Europeans are obsessed with Europe and the Chinese are way too risk averse to get deeply involved in the Middle East. The Russians simply don't have Soviet scale influence. So what you're left with is all the police officers have left the, the neighborhood and now it's the most powerful families that are left to, to maintain order. In this case, we're really talking about Turkey, Iran, and Saudi Arabia. Now, if you just think about those three countries, how different they are, mm -hmm. how different their, their views of the world are, and the, the model that they offer to the region, that's why I think it's impossible to say, I mean, Syria is eventually gonna burn itself out because Syria can't sustain the economic damage that has taken for so long. It might not happen this year, it probably won't. Mm -hmm. um, Turkey obviously has a very strong interest in what happens there because they share a border. Iran has an interest because Syria is Iran's really only reliable ally in the region. And the Saudis also have an interest because Iran is interested and, and because Turkey's interested. So I think what we're gonna see over the next several years, why it's so unpredictable, a series of proxy conflicts in Syria, perhaps in Iraq, other places in the region, as these three countries try and impose their own view of a post-Arab Spring Middle East. And how that plays out is really impossible to say. Fascinating stuff, Willis. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you for watching. Copyright 2012 CFA Institute. This program is designed to give accurate and authoritative information in regard to the subject matter covered. It is distributed with the understanding that CFA Institute is not engaged in rendering legal, accounting, tax, investment, or other expert advice. If legal advice or other expert assistance is required, the services of a competent professional should be sought.